thank you everybody for coming today to the Clegane Brothers panel, Brothers Clegane, Clegane Bowl. Open, however you want to describe it. You're welcome to. Uh, intros, left to right. Um, I am uh, I am Axe Chucker. I am the star of Cringe Mode. <laughs> and to my right here is the Oz. He is the co-star of Cringe Mode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in touch with my attorneys. <laughs> Do you have a dentist named Crentist? <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Oz. Co- oh, no, no, no. Go ahead, sir. I'm, you're already soon. Jason, uh, co host of Tringe Mode. <laughs> Uh, I'm Mallory, and I, I don't have a podcast. So. <laughs> I'm Sean from Westeros, History of Westeros. Somebody's taking this seriously. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Dancing Sean, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, let's start at the end before we go back to the beginning. We're going to keep this fairly loose. You know, we would encourage audience participation. We'll certainly open it up to questions at the end, but please feel free to chime in, I think, at any point, right? Keep this yes. Yes. Uh, communal and collaborative. Obviously, a lot of people are deeply invested in the Hound and also deeply invested in, um, you know, seeing the mountain fall into a pit of fire. So <laughs> how did the conclusion of the Brothers Clegane arc sit with everybody? I'll start. Yeah. It was good. It was bad. I think that's fair. Um, the way it was framed, that shot while Sandor was on the stair looking up at the mountain with a dragon soaring over, overhead is probably one of the best shots mm. in the show. So for that, I could put a poster of that on my wall with a big clicking ball thing over top and scream at my wall like I usually do. Um, that, was the, that was the good part. Uh, parts of it I was not 100% with. He, I like that as someone who loves Sandor Clegane, I... I do like that he saved Arya, that he talked her out of becoming who he mm. believed in his heart that he was. But I also think he could have saved himself. <laughs> and he didn't, at that point, did not need to go through with it, except for to thrill a couple hundred thousand people who wanted to see him fight his brother. Um, I'm not going to go I'm not going to go on a long ramble about this since we're just talking about the end. The fight was the fight was was interesting just being there on the stair that was cool. The fact that uh he almost got vipered with the mountain's two thumbs. Ooh. I was really worried about that. I was like, "Oh, they wouldn't do that." <laughs> and thankfully they did not. Um but yeah, that was my those were my, those were my impressions. I, I was a little sad that Sandor had to fall down into a a fire to die because you know that's not the way he wants to go. But part of me thinks it was mostly the fall that did it in for him and not the fire. So I don't know. Oz? Yes. Um well I'm I'm not going to uh, basically my, my feelings are the same as as Kenny's axe because uh but I'm not going to sit here and just regurgitate what he said. I, all of that is really the way I felt about it as well. Um, as a show viewer only, um, it was one of those things where, I've, you know, it was one of those things where we felt confident or I felt confident that it was going to happen. Uh, it was just a matter of time. Um, I feel like um, for all the letdowns we had with season eight, if that had not happened, like, I don't know. We may have all revolted against <laughs> HBO and others. I don't know what would have happened, but but at least we did get that. Um, you know, and it's part of it's sentimental because you like. I love the Hound so much. Um, loved his character. He was just one of the. You know, he he was not personable, uh, but he was he was quick, and that was one of the things that made him lovable. Was that you just? I mean, he wasn't going to say much, but whatever he said, it mattered because he was usually making fun of somebody or calling somebody a dumb something or, you know, <laughs> effing something or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so it was sad for me to see it. I did not, I, I was not a fan when he started to gouge the eyes out. I was like, no, 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 no. This is not, no, <laughs> don't no, do let's don't viper him. All right. We've already seen that. Um, 
and it's one of those things too, where I, you know, I realized why he had to fall into the fire. I realized why they did that because of his fear of the fire and, and can, you know, him finally confronting that fear or whatnot. Uh, at the same time, I feel like he could have just kicked the crap out of the, the mountain and he would have fallen down in the fire anyway. And Sandra could have <laughs> ran out and been fine. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And, um, but I, I'm thankful that we got it because uh, we could have you know, all been sitting here going, why did we not get cookie game bowl? It could have been named no cookie game bowl. And it's not <laughs> Yeah, just, so. just to cut in here briefly. So to give you guys some context, um, Oz was show a show watcher only. And, we at Watchers on the Wall forcibly kept him that way. We didn't allow him to read any books or to be spoiled in any way. So a lot of the the reactions that he's had for the show has been purely the show. And now, now he's he may be allowed to read. I still have to I have to talk to Sue and see if oh she's, oh, she's here. Yes. yes, can he read the books? Can he read? He can. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good, good. Uh, Oz, I have some um, bad news for you. They're they're not finished. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. What? I'm not sure if you've heard. No. I don't no. know if that's come up. No, I, I had no idea. I, I heard that Euron had a horn in the books, and now I didn't even know yeah, what the hell that's that was. That's a long story. Dragonbinder, the hell horn. <laughs> For what it's worth, I have a similar perspective. I started doing History Westeros to have the perspective of someone who hadn't read the books, and I, I've gotten deeper into it now. I've become spoiled in a lot of ways. I started reading the books, but I definitely find sometimes we have slightly different perspectives. Sometimes watching a show as a reader, some people maybe read the books a decade before the show even came out. So you have certain expectations. And, um, but when you haven't read the books, you start watching the show. Certain things happen that I'll be like, oh, wow, that was interesting. Where other people are like, how could they do that? And it's because you have all these other things that you know that I don't know. And sometimes it's hard to treat them separately. Sometimes watching a show without the books, you're still like, what the heck is this? What's going on with these sand snakes? This doesn't, you know. So there will be some shared <laughs> perspective. Tyene, though. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will echo the sentiments of my panel mates here. I think that um, it was a great spectacle. I wish that the hound would have survived. I think as a... The hound is important because he is someone he's like the most um obvious example of someone who's like dealing with trauma um you know his like the formative thing we're in his not life. dealing with trauma <laughs> well and then that's a form of dealing with it and he's dealing with it in the sense of you know his brother pushed his face into a fire and all that he's learned in the time since then is that this culture values him for his ability to do violence to other people. And that's really all he knows because that's like his earliest, most formative experience is just like do violence to other people. The people that love you, who should be taking care of you, will burn you, hurt you. So I really wish he would have conquered that in a way that would have allowed him to actually survive it rather than just be like, I'm not afraid of this fire, therefore I'll jump into it. That said, I, you know, I think that, I think a lot of the, the reason that people really are drawn to down is because of that, because he's actively from the earliest part of the story, trying to not do the thing that everyone wants him to do. That thinks that that's the only thing he can do. And he, at times like the, he thinks it's the only thing he can do, which is like kill people. He's very good at it, um, but he doesn't like it. And that's why I, I think that moment with Arya was really great. Is where he was just like, don't just break the cycle. Don't do the thing that I'm doing that I've done. Yeah, I think to to go jump off that last point, the contrast in particular between him, you know, the when you think of his relationships because we're obviously talking about the the brotherly relationship, mm -hmm. but the most powerful relationships that he has in the in the story are with the Stark girls, you know, with Sansa and Arya. So to think of like contrasting his early season, early book arc where he's saying, you know, killing's the sweetest thing there is to Sansa, and then contrasting that to where he ends saying to Arya like don't choose this life don't let the violence and the regret and more than anything that thirst for vengeance be the propulsive force that dictates the choices you make in your life and that's a pretty powerful message and so i, I found myself grateful for the conclusion of his arc for, for that reason um and where he where he landed with aria much much more so than um Clegane Bowl itself though 
I mean, in the interest of full disclosure, I was like, this is dope when I was watching it, you know, it like was obviously visually stunning and um, pretty thrilling to watch. You know, I think in terms of the symbolism of the fire, I agree with you. I think it, it is an interesting, there's an interesting dissonance at play yeah. because you do want to say, given his role as a character who represents the, uh, one of the many characters who represents the impact that trauma can have eternally on your life, being able to overcome that would be a very powerful message. I think he overcome it, he overcame it in in a fashion, you know, choosing to say that this the fear that had dictated his life, fire, and this other resentment and fear that had also dictated the course of his life, the betrayal from his brother. When those come to a head and you have to make a choice to say, I'm not gonna let the thing that I fear stop me from pursuing the thing that I want. Now there's a little bit of a contradiction there because you just told Arya. Don't let that thirst <laughs> let you, uh, you know, lead you on the path to violence for the rest of your life. But the reason he was telling her that is because he knew it was too late for him in some ways. And, you know, there is something about um, introspection, I think, especially in a story where choice and consequence, um, not always, but often plays such a, a seismic role. Uh, there was something like maybe a little bit perversely refreshing, I think, about a character who, who saw himself very clearly. I think I might know what you mean. Cause it's, yeah. Can everyone I, hear? Well, we can just re- repeat yeah, it quickly. She asked if she, if becoming the grave digger maybe was a way of removing himself from uh-huh. that, which, especially after being left for dead, it, it's my complaint with the Clay Gamble because there's, you know, there was pretty clear hype all around about it. And it was a spectacle of a fight scene. It was awesome. But it was a little bit hollow, I think, because it didn't seem like there was a proper motivation for how climactic they were trying to make it. It seemed like he was like, fuck the king, I'm out of here. And he went off to be religious. You know what I mean? It seemed like he had already made this turn to abandon violence. And then he comes full on, you know, single-minded mission for revenge. I'm just not sure where it came from. Does that make sense? Like, I would... uh... I actually, that made a lot of sense to me because I think, you know, as a character, again, who is like embodies trauma, I think one of the things about trauma and a person who's lived with it that long is on the one hand, you hate it. And on the other hand, it's actually the most comfortable thing that you know. You need it. It's your identity. Yeah. So uh, that kind of made sense to me that on the one hand, he'd be like, I don't, I reject this. I don't want to do it. I want to just opt out totally. And on the other hand, it's like, actually, I'm good at this. So, I get praised for this. So the, the, and I, I, I see it too, but remember, there's the other side to this coin. How does Gregor care about Sandor? Right. You know, why is he? It seems like there is this rivalry between them that we can find ways that maybe Sandor should have gotten past it or maybe not. But why is Gregor abandoning, kills Kyburn, gives two shits about Cersei, I've got to face down my brother. Like, why does he care about his brother, you know? I, I think just... I think that's an interesting point and one of the areas where the show's, um, how do I put this diplomatically, reluctance to engage meaningfully with the fantasy elements in the later seasons really shows itself because we don't totally understand how the magic of the reanimated, you know, Sir Robert Strong and the Franken Mountain in the show works. There's that moment that is clearly supposed to be set up for this when, you know, Jamie and Kevin and Cersei, they're, they're, they're with the mountain. And it's like Jamie's like, just basically, does he understand us, you know, and he gets a little like the, uh, twitch, yeah. twitch. And then Kyburn says, you know, he understands well enough. And that's clearly supposed to prime us to believe that there's some consciousness, some agency still at play there. He's not totally just a tool there for Cersei or other people to deploy. And then the connection, I guess, that they want us to make is that, well, what is ultimately the, the, the driving force for him? It's still some base, deep instinct. Then that gets back to a character question, to your point, though. It's like there's understanding the magic and then also understanding, you know, for him, was Sander just basically another thing in the way? You know, another obstacle, the jealousy of playing with a toy soldier when they were boys and then always just one more person, one more thing. It's like, does it matter who I'm fighting? You know, no, right? But maybe it did. And if so, I don't think we ever got to fully appreciate that from his perspective. I think we see a mirror to that in season one of the the King's Landing tournament. Mm -hmm. When um, the Hound steps in to save Boris and the Mountain immediately turns all his attention back on his brother. Right. Mm. It's not his goal at that moment. He still wants to attack Loris, but 
the hound is in his way, and it's a reminder that I didn't actually put you in your place when I put your head in that fire. You're standing up to me again. And I think all of the moments when the hound is pushing back to kind of trigger the mountain to mm. and redominate itself. Did you ever hear that? Okay. I, I have a question just to... I'm wondering how many of you are book readers as well as show watchers. So we have, okay, probably over half. Um, do we do we think that we're going to get a, a version of Clegane Bowl in the books? <laughs> Noes and yeses. Who, who thinks we will? Who thinks we will get it in the books? Well, we're who, never going to. Well. Who, <laughs> who thinks we won't? Who thinks we won't get it in the books? So more people think we'll get okay. it. Who thinks we'll get books? Oh, no. no? Stop okay. it. Stop it. I'm telling you. Brandon Sanderson's cracking his knuckles. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> in the books, like, if you do get Clegane Bowl, which is kind of what I was expecting for the show, we will get Sandor seeing Gregor as the reanimated uh, Robert Strong. And seeing, oh, you've been punished. That's what I thought. Mm. I thought he'd be like, mm. this undead life is so torturous. You got what you deserve. I thought we might see this emperor moment where Gregor picks up Cersei and throws her off. No, Cersei, she just picked up her skirts and. <laughs> like, Excuse me. Pardon me. Please don't. Please no. That was a rare comedic moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. That, that's an interesting point. I, even though it was um, slightly on the uh, rotting nose, I did like the line in the moment when, you know, the, the, the horror of Gregor's face reveals itself and, and, and the hound says, that, oh, that's, that's what you've always been. You've, you've always, always been a monster. Yeah. So in that sense, I think he maybe wouldn't think that that was fitting punishment because to him, he's always been this like foul, rotting, festering sore, not a person with humanity. It was kind of a eat shit and live. Oh, eat shit, I know, eat shit and live. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, if that was my brother who I hated, I'd be like, no, you live as an undead zombie in the service of Cersei's fucking way. Like, you know, That's your sentence. Like, some people, some people actually, um, viewed the whole both of them falling down into fire as Sandor dragging Clegane down or Gregor down yeah, to hell, hell. Yeah. right so the visual of that they said that was sort of what that was I think my personal opinion is if we get a Clegane bowl in the books I think it may be framed in such a way I don't think because I don't think there's any doubt that the grave digger is there's no doubt that the grave digger is Sandor that if he does come back and maybe it's it's for the faith and there's a possibility that if there is Clegane Bowl, he's not doing it out of revenge. I think he may do it simply to protect the rest of the world from the horror that is his brother. And if that's the case, then I am 100% all for that because I love, San- I love Sandra. I'm sorry, unapologetically. Yes? Um, so I'm, I'm curious, going back to um, those people, and I, I kind of agree with it. Yeah, most of you said that you want, you'd rather have Sandra have lived. What do you think he would have done afterwards? Because for me, like, uh-huh. his, and I agree when you were talking about, you know, once he leaves, he's like the king, he leaves, like, it's, he's forgotten about it. But to me, once he sees Brother Ray and all that happens, uh-huh. it's like it turns back for him. He's like, well, this is what life is about. And he's back on that whole, I need to go back and finish my brother. Once he's done that, what does he do after? Like, what, I'm curious what you guys think he would be doing if he had lived. He had another, I think, turning moment. Like one of my favorite moments of the whole series when they returned to that farm, I guess, where he had left the father and daughter for dead, and now he has to face that. You know, it's another moment when I thought that it might, my Reva, again, sorry to harp on this, but it just bothered me so much. He was so obsessed because it seemed like he had all these new things to worry about. Like it seemed like he should be somewhat of a clean slate coming from Brother Ray. And then he sees the father-daughter that he left. And all, and now he's seeing visions in the fire of this bigger purpose to stop. The, all these things I felt like were changing what the motivations of his life. But as Jason said, it doesn't, you just don't completely eliminate this part of your identity. So when you do fulfill that aspect, what do you do next? I, I brought this up in another panel. Anybody ever see Vikings? See Vikings, the TV show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What does Ragnar want to do? 
just wants to be a farmer, man. He just wants to settle down with his family. He doesn't want to be charging into battle, risking lives, watching his people die. It, it's what he's good at. It's what ostensibly is leading to the ability to just be a farmer, to just live a happy life. That's what I would want. That's what I would want for Sandor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe a chicken farmer. I had this, uh, I don't know, somewhat weird comical vision of while they were having the final council meeting at season eight that Sandor just busts in the door with the Kingsguard stuff on and says, would y'all shut the fuck up and hurry up? <laughs> and he's like, he's basically taking the mountains place. I don't know. I thought that'd wow. be kind of cool, but it would be it would. impossible, but wonderful. Queens, 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 sorry, ma'am. You're right. What was Brand? I'm sorry. I, I do believe I to jump on that. I do believe if he had survived, he would have returned North. I think the conversation he had with Arya on the road down, there was a, there was a part that was missing in my head that uh, Arya says she's never returning north, and Sandor then answers, I am returning north. And I think he would serve as, as uh, Sansa's Queensguard. Yes. There you go. I'd be down with that, too. It'd be perfect. <laughs> Chicken and pies. He survived. He told us he would. Yes. You had your hand up? Go, go ahead. Uh, I have a quick question about Duncan Gamble's influence on Sandra. I was really kind of confused by the relationship between him and, and Sansa because mm-hmm. Arya kind of relationship came to a natural end when her mm. kind of recognized, okay, look, I'm in a bad way. This is not the way that you should go. And with Sansa, I'm not sure there was really like a, a through line. Like a real like lesson that that really came from that storyline. So, did, did you, guys... you mean a lesson for Sandor or a lesson for us or a lesson for? Like Arya learned something from from that. Like I'm not sure did, did Sansa learn anything? Did, did he learn anything from from her? She might have learned a tough lesson. Just like the world is. The world's kind of crappy, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, toughen up, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a good or the best lesson, or she might learn new lessons down the road. But I think in the short term, that's what she learned from, from other people. The same, she learned the same lesson from him she learned from Cersei. Or at one of the same lessons. Um, so, you know, the now infamous moment where in the, uh, the inside the episode, Benioff says, you know, that Danny kind of forgot about the Iron <laughs> Fleet. Um, I think just the showrunners kind of forgot that Sons on the Hound is a relationship that people are very invested in. Um, You know, it's just, we, when we, I remember when we were doing preview pods for the season, when we were like, oh, power ranking the pair, the reunions we were anticipating, and and Sons on the Hound was like at the top of the list. I mean, that's something that people were really looking forward to. And, you know, they don't um, have a meaningful conversation until after the, the battle. And I, People are entitled to their own opinions about this, and I would, I would never, like, sincerely never tell anybody how to feel about processing trauma. That is right. an individual thing. I did not care for that scene or the yeah. lines that they gave Sansa at all. And I think a lot of women felt that way, and a lot of people felt that way. And again, if you didn't feel that way, that's fine. But uh, I, I just, I personally did not care for how that um, relationship resolved and what the takeaway seemed to be. Right. I listen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, that's our panel. Uh. <laughs> and just, to, I mean, just to underline, like the 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 message of that scene appeared to be um, without I needed the to become the person I am, as if the, those talents weren't innate and wouldn't be unlocked through some much less uh, brutal and awful means, and didn't exist within her anyway. That's a extremely tough message, and I think a misunderstanding of what that relationship was as to what Sandor and Sansa did for each other. I think he saw a person who was going through and about to go through uh, some very awful times, things that he understands very well. And was like, let's just not do this. Let's just leave. Um, It hit, you know, in a very inelegant and really almost irresponsible way because surely they would have been hunted down and found like within half a day, two days. But, you know, I think it was, it, it represented his first like halting attempt to be like, okay, how do we, how do I, how do I not do this?
this? Like, what is a, here's an opportunity for me to not do this. And also save a person who, in which I see a lot of myself uh, from an awful experience, you know. Um, I, I think that's what that represented. And then the fact that that kind of petered out and didn't really go anywhere before that final scene uh, didn't bother me that much and just because their life paths were so divergent. But I think that's what, that's what they did for each other. He, he was like, maybe I can protect this person. I don't really understand how to do it. He, and he's probably not even thinking about it that way, but maybe I can try to break this pattern of, of violence somehow by yeah. just opting out. Completely. I do agree. I think she was kind of the first step in his healing process. And he, he, tried to, he tried to warn her from the very beginning. Like, from the very beginning, he was like, life is tough. Life, I mean, life is not a song. That's, that's, I mean, that's classic. So, yeah. Um, you had a question? I'm sorry. It was just about, um, as far as um, the Hound in season three, or episode three, um, in the battle scene, and how him and Caroline, like, how did, did that having drive for them going back to face his brother of, hey, I, I still can't get out of this, I'm still mm. terrified of death, terrified of what's going on around me, to then drive him to, well, let me go in the books and in the show, he all he says what exactly is on his mind, and he's not lying about it. And I think at some point he stops lying even to himself. So, well, but where that goes in the books, I, if, if he's found a final piece, I don't think it's a final piece because I think George has more in store for him. But um, damn, I need these books. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I loved that moment in the, in the long night, the the where he the, his his fear of fire overcomes him, and he you know recedes into the the shadows, and you know Barrack's pep talk isn't enough. I loved it for a couple of reasons. One, you, it really reinforces how much he cares about Arya because only seeing her in jeopardy is what pulls him out of it, and you know that is one of the central messages of the story, right? Is can you find somebody in the world who makes you want to be better or change or do something differently than you've done it before? And I also think that one of the coolest things about Sandor's character and one of the reasons that so many of us respond to him and root for him is because there's this just such an appealing contradiction at play, this gruff, tough exterior. And that is where so often we see the grip fear can have on a person, right? And how that's just totally, it's a part of being alive. That's a part of being a person in, in the world. And everybody has their own individual thing. And like, that's fine. And you Maybe you're ashamed of it and maybe you aren't and maybe you can find people who help you confront that. But it would have felt like very like out of character and actually not true to his nature and who he is if he had been able in that moment to say, well, the fate of the world's on the line, so I got this, right? It's like your fears can pull you down no matter who you are. And I, I liked the commitment to reinforcing that. Also, they've made a point. You have to be afraid in order to be brave. It's like mm -hmm. you're saying, it's more meaningful him, yeah. for him to face this when he is still afraid of it. Yeah, the great Ned line, right? When in, in the show, obviously, we get it with Rob and Talisa, and in the books, it's Bran and Ned. But, you know, can a man still be brave if he is afraid? That is the only time he can be brave. It's a great message. Kind of going back, too, to the, real quick, just to the Sansa thing. Um, it was, for me, it, what I remember is that it was really the first time in the show I remember him having some sort of a heart and compassion for someone. And because before that, it's like Mallory said, he's the gruff, you know, just kick your ass and dumb cunts and all that stuff. But then all of a sudden he's, you know, he, he, he cared about her. He saved her from, you know, the, the, the thing in the, uh, in the kingdom, you know, when the, when they were traveling and uh, Joffrey's, you know, they got poop thrown on his face and all that stuff. And I mean, she was about to get raped and he goes and, you know, saves them. So uh, I think that was important. Not that it ties it together anymore at the end, because it really doesn't. It was just one of those things where I don't know, the viewer kind of understood that this guy's not just a, you know, I'm going to chop your head off kind of guy. So. So we talked a lot about what she did for him. But in the beginning, she can't even look at him, right? right. She right. loves Joffrey, who's ugly on the inside, but beautiful on the outside. Yes. And at the end, she looks at him and she's like, yeah, I've seen much worse. Because I, I feel like he was a catalyst for her. I'm starting to see past the surface. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. definitely.
he was a catalyst for our journey to see past the surface, if you will, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. one example of show book difference. I went, I did, I hadn't read the books, but there were a few things like I was, Aziz, you know, like could answer my questions when I started watching the show. He's telling all about the Black Fire Rebellion and all the Roberts, you know, stuff from the past that I, you can learn about without plot coming being spoiled, you know. And I just knew I had people, I had intelligent, educated, kind friends whose favorite character was Jamie Lannister. So I knew there had to be more than this, you know. And at that moment when Sansa's on the edge looking at Joffrey and Sandor's looking at Sansa and he's like, yeah, come here and let me give you a tissue yeah. for your hold. Step back a second here. You know, you just know these characters that you've just seen this image and they're just this Hulk or this timid girl or whatever it is. You know, there's something more. There's something more coming. And clearly Sandor was way deeper than he was on the surface at first. And that that's one of scores of examples is why we love it so much. This is what, how we're talking about it still right. now, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I think one of going back to that first scene with Sansa, uh, the idea that of the Hound is a truth teller. I think uh, one of the really important things he says is just about um, how power is wielded in bias. You know, we're we're all killers. Your brothers are killers. Um, and it's something you don't really that none of the characters really consider. Everyone, and I think it's it's something that's extremely true in the real world. Everybody thinks they're the good guy. Nobody thinks they're the bad guy. You know, Joffrey is not thinking that he's the bad guy. He thinks he's the good guy. Everybody thinks they're the good guy. Um, and it's even very... When, I don't want to cut you off, but even when they, they recognize they're doing a bad thing, but it's for the in the service good. of a, In the service the of a good cause. In the service mm-hmm. of a good cause. Um, you know, uh, Sansa's brothers and father have killed people, we assume. Uh, and surely some, not all of them were bad. And I think that's an important thing to, to think about and something that, that the Hound, as um, a person whose primary role is as an instrument, like as a, as a kind of unbiased, unthinking instrument of power, um, understands very well is that, you know, everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing. Yes, over there. Do you think the moment on the river I don't think so. I think maybe later, if he reflects back on it, he might re- revive. I don't think at that moment he felt completely justified when they put him on trial in the Brotherhood. Yeah, with you know, he's yeah. like, "King ordered me to do it. What do you want? It's not my place to challenge a king's order. I'm supposed to protect him." Now, people might argue that he still shouldn't have done it, but it's not like he's being evil or insane by making this argument. You know, the, the, all the characters we love would have to make the same argument that he's making. You know. Davos would have to make, you know, it's, you know, characters that we think of as good have still stood there and followed the orders of someone doing something bad, you know. It, st- it stayed with him, though, because um, when he was uh, lying there bleeding out with a broken leg and begging Arya to kill him, that was one of the first things he brought up. He brought up Sansa, and he brought up the butcher's boy. He brought up how he smelled, how the corpse smelled, and everything like that. So you know that the memory of that stayed with him. So even in the moment, I agree with him. I don't think he regretted it at all in the moment. I think it's a memory that stayed with him. And again, these things, they build up. So, yeah. In the black right here. You. Two questions. So the first question is, do you think the mountain truly honestly didn't care that he was just a straight up dick? (laughs) (laughs) And the other question is, um, when did you truly, honestly know when Sandor was going to be one of the ones who was looking for it? Good question. I mean, I think he clearly cared. Um, certainly by the time he's trying to save Sansa from King's Landing. And I think that's the moment, at least for me, when I was like, ooh, this, you know, this is a more interesting character than he appears at first. Yeah, he... he hmm? so, oh, so or Gregor. 
I don't think Gregor cared at all. Gregor is just a mile. Gregor is just like a it's, freaking. It's inter- it's interesting. Um, in the in the books, of course, they give a little more depth into Gregor, and they he's sort of described in a way that makes you think that he's got not just something wrong with his head, but he gets these constant headaches, right, where he's just almost debilitated. It's like something squeezing his skull at all times, and it just brings this this base rage out of him. And he just wants to destroy things when he's 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 in all yeah. this pain, and he's he's just wants to then go inflict it on other people. I think if Gregor like existed in the world, we'd call him a serial killer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's a nature and nurture thing. Yeah. I think in his case, there is obviously something actually wrong, you yeah. know, to have those instincts and those impulses. But then also, like you know, what's the little finger line? Like a talent for violence, right? And that is a world and a society that often rewards that talent for violence, which then feeds into the pursuit of it, right? Because it's something that people are propping you up for and giving you power for. And then that lust for that power and that violence feed into each other. And then it's all around you whenever you want it or need it. So I think it's a little bit of both, but he definitely, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of goodness in him. So I have a couple thoughts on this. One is I think that Sandor was, or Gregor was a tool in, in two different ways. He's a tool to Tywin or the Lannisters, kind of like the military is to politicians. He's just like this force you just have to deal with. You know what I mean? Tywin gets to do a lot of stuff because Cersei gets to do a lot of things because she has the mountain. You know, she's like, he's a, a tool of violence. And he's also a storytelling tool. He's always, he's also protects Cersei from things that we might have thought were a threat, like, well, the mountain's there. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think his character is, honestly, it's, as much as I was just saying, there's so much depth to the characters. There's a few characters that Martin, and it's almost surprising because there's so much grayness. But when you have hundreds of characters, you can have two or three that are just black and white. And Gregor, he's just evil. He's just, he's just bad. You know what I mean? There's not too much depth. And maybe we could come up with some kind of analysis but I think as a storytelling tool, he's just bad. He's just this strong arm, this evil strong arm of Tywin. You know? I think the, the fact that we know that their trauma occurred when they were children, is all, it like reminds me a little bit of the, you know, the secret riddle chapter in Half-Blood Prince. Like when you see Voldemort as an 11-year-old boy and you're like, oh, oh my God, yeah, right? Like look what he was already doing at the orphanage. That's terrifying. I think there's, there's something there too. Yes. Okay, I'm just, this is my theory about Greg. <laughs> this isn't a question. Um, but just like saying as a storytelling tool, I feel like in some ways he's, to me, what makes this story different from a lot of other fantasy stories because his violence is so random. And that's kind of like what makes Game of Thrones so different. Like, and that's why mm-hmm. part of the, the game bowl was where he kills Tyburn. It was just like, <laughs> it was random. You know, like, So that's, I think that there is meaning from Kyburn's perspective, though. That's really interesting. I, I like that. But like, it, it's, it's, it's a similar in a way, even though it's obviously, you know, it's not apples to apples, but like the children in the forest and the, the White Walkers, right? The hubris of mankind to create something that it thinks can be a weapon and a tool. And then obviously that is going to be the source of your undoing at some point. You know, seeing Kyburn's head just scrambled like an egg <laughs> by this thing that he's like, I got full control over this. What do you need from the mountain today? I got you. And then it's like, my dude, literally, your head is all over the stairs. Out of his yeah. skull. It's great. <laughs> I feel kind of like Sansa was the innocent loss that he was trying to protect, kind of the same one she kind of represented what he missed. And then he had a long time when he wasn't around her. And then when he got to season eight and he sees that she's lost a lot of that innocence and he tries to challenge her and find out, have you become almost as bad as I have? And she still retained some sort of humanity. I wonder if maybe that kind of helped him when he went with Arya to say, you know, turn back, be more like your sister, and less like me. You don't have to go for that. I certainly think that's the case. And, you know, Arya by that point had killed like 80 people. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Did we ever get a head count? Did we get a head count? 
How many people drank that wine? Right, I think it's I, it's probably like 80 to like 120. I mean, it's up there. Um, and I mean, even discounting all that, it's still a lot of people. It's a lot. Like and I mean, you know, that daggers into their skin. And that uh, that uh, <laughs> it's got to take a toll on you. And it's certainly dark. the hound is like, you know, don't pay this toll anymore. I think that that's surely the case. In those sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that movie goes into the show, and one of the big elements of Sandor's early characterization is also a big part of the characterization of the books, and it's also one of the fundamental contrasts between the brothers, is that Sandor is not a knight, mm-hmm. and that's a thread that's a big part of him, and um, he has lots of conversations with Sansa about what being a true knight is, and that seems like a thread that the show never went back to. Yeah, I think that that's... You know, back to Sandor as a truth teller, the hypocrisy of knighthood is something that galled him intensely. Yeah. Yes. The fact yeah, we're going to deal with that in episode yeah. eight of season eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sean. <laughs> you know, that galled him intensely. The fact that these uh, men who had sworn to protect the weak, protect the innocent, uh, would go out there and just slay villages, kill children, rape women, all in the name of their king seeming to uphold their vows uh, that uh, he was not willing to bow to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think on the surface it was a, a license to yeah. do ill, right? Well, I'm not a knight. And he would almost say it with pride, but I, I definitely agree that beneath yeah. the surface and ultimately it bubbled to the surface was a, a resentment of the system that allowed people to think that conduct was sanctioned if you had a certain title and it wasn't if you didn't. And the, the he was one of the people who saw that hypocrisy and, and you know, never shied away uh, from pointing it out to the people who that was often the way we saw that yeah. he really respected and cared about a person as if he was willing to say that out loud to them. Fascinating flip side to Brienne, who, when faced with the hypocrisy, doubled down by saying essentially, but these are actually values that are worth upholding, even if nobody does them, somebody should try. Whereas Sandor said, nobody's nobody actually tries. Nobody does it. Well, and that's what makes the moment between them when when. Brienne finds yeah. uh, the Hounds and Arya so powerful when he says to her, well, then you're the wrong one to protect her yeah. if you think that's true, right? And obviously, I think we're also all very invested in Brienne, And so yeah. that's something we have to grapple with is that which one, of them is right in that moment. Yeah, if I may say that uh, a lot of people, because TV shows never live up to books. It doesn't matter if it's a great TV show like Game of Thrones. It's not going to live up to the books. But of the few things that the show gave us that the books did not, that, and not just yes. because it was a badass fight, but because of what you said. Yeah. That juxtaposition that yep. they're that they're throwing into our faces, you're going, oh wow, okay, yeah. yeah, I love that. Yes, over there, you, Julie, you you work with us at the Ringer. I'm not sure you're allowed to ask a question. <laughs> you can ask us at the office on Monday or on the flight home tonight. Oh man, fact checking us even yes. here at the panel. <laughs> Unbelievable. No, you're exactly right. Commitment to journalism. Oh, sorry, it's your question. For me, it was for me. I, I was already growing interested in him. The more he, the more he was like trying to be protective of Sansa while he was in King's Landing. But then in Blackwater, when he says, you know, fuck this, fuck the king, fuck all that stuff, I wanted to know from that point. All right, where is he going now? Like, what's he about to do? Like, this is about to be really good. But it's really strange because I almost decided I didn't like him because he almost kicked Bron's ass while they were drinking beer before the battle started. And at that point, I was like, Team Bron, right? So I'm like, you got to decide. Are you going to be all right or are you going to be a shithead? Which one are you going to be? Uh, but that was, for me, that was it. That was it. Yeah, for, for me, it was, it, was, uh, it was season one when he basically saved Sansa from suicide by... She was going to, she was going to, I mean, she had that look. She was going to push Joffrey and probably go with him over the edge. And, um, yeah, so he saved her from that. And I think he knew he was saving her from that. So for me, I was like, oh, there he is. That's the moment for me in the show too, particularly when he hands her the handkerchief, because I think it's this, it's this insight into his practicality. Like he knows how he's intervening and what that intervention will hopefully lead to. Um, But also just like a, a a sign of tenderness. And then for, for me in the books, it's when he walks her back from the tourney that night after the feast and he tells her the story, um, which obviously is something we get from Littlefinger 
in the show. And then he's like, never tell anyone I told you that, even though the hound told you in the books, which has always been a tough one. Tough one. I'm I'm one of those rare people that didn't like that in the books. To me, it came off, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but this is a grown man who has just met this 13-year-old girl. And he's walking across the field crying with her. I don't want you to do, you know, I'm just like, come on. No, 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 don't do that. I, I loved it. I, oh, I, and you can. I just found it a little unbelievable. But Sandor's still a great freaking character. Come on. Yes. Um, so, uh, my, but, when I was when he freaked out with the fire and just tore off his and where he went to hide was in Sansa's room. Mm-hmm. And that was his that was his safe space. And the first time he was really vulnerable and and decided that he was just done with it. He was not gonna be dropping dogs anymore. And then, but he went I don't know what he hoped to get from Sansa, except that she had always uh chlorine job for her life as a story and she was looking for for that and he and in some ways, I think he wanted to be for The first time he saw the light, I've never thought of it in a way in that way that that she, he saw her room as a safe space, but that's certainly possible because he was a wounded dog at that point. So where would he go? But I always saw it as he was seeking to to take her away from this hell pit basically. But yeah, that's, that's possible. Like psychologically that, that that might click in that way with him. What do you guys think? And, and wanted to be her protector. Yeah. And, yeah. I totally see that. I wonder if Sansa even thought of that as a safe place though. You know? That's true, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I want to maybe slightly cop out of the, the question though, because I didn't want him to make it to, not, not that I want him to die, but I wanted characters to make sacrifices. If all the people I like all make it to the end, I'm like, it's kind of not what the show is about, you know? Like, I wanted to have some emotions wrought, and I thought he was a character that was likely to make a sacrifice. You know, he was someone who seemed to be out for himself, but then we realized, oh, no, wait, he's actually good. And so I was kind of hoping that he would die in some last stand and somewhere. I, it it was, became conflicted when we're all kind of expecting this Clegamble. Well, I guess he can't die with the Magnificent Seven up north. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but... Practically uh, nobody died with the magnificent. I know that. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I said practically. Yeah, yeah. Like, the bear, another the thought polar that bear I died. Out, it's another thing that, that's come up in another panel is that okay? So whether they were, we'll say, honorable like Brienne or dishonorable like Gregor or maybe utilitarian like Sandor, all of them, all in the end, were raised reinforce this idea of violence like you want to be a knight you want to be a king you want to do you like how well can you go fight with your sword like few people would be measured by how well are you going to make sure your people are fed right that the measure for success or leadership was just can you go out and kill a bunch of people and they they all were raised with that you know pretty much all they're going to say the heroes ostensible heroes of the show little tangent from this Clegane panel, or maybe important to recognize that these Cleganes were violence-driven. We end up with Bran as a king, someone who's not about violence at all. I'm going to say I think that's better, you know. Maybe you need to have these tools of violence, but I don't think you necessarily want them to be the role models or the leaders, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I thought it was interesting um, how you were talking about you wanted characters to be sacrificed and I think that's what I wanted to have as well and it actually to me felt very hollow in the end uh, because I felt like his growth as a character was about learning that I don't have to just follow orders, I can make choices I can apply violence in a way that uh, maybe does make the world better, does protect other people. And I felt like, uh, you know, in and Google, I mean, Cersei is doing her little dance out of the way. The Cersei shuffle. <laughs> the Cersei shuffle. Buildings collapsing on them, he's probably going to die anyway. He, I, I thought that Google was going to have more stakes 
mm-hmm. just eight because it, I felt like in season eight there are multiple character arcs where in the end it feels like they subverted the expectations in a way that like went against characters' growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's the primary complaint I think. Is yeah, that- and y'all both used y'all both used the word hollow, and part of that I think is the fact that by the time we get there. If they just stand still, they're going to die, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. at this point, you know, what difference it makes. And I hate to use this term, but, I mean, I, I guess maybe that's some fan service because of the hype and how do you fit that in and maybe, I don't know. But it'll be interesting for, for you guys to see their book readers, like, you know, how they do write that in. And I think Axe is correct that I think it will have, I think there will be more context there that leads it up to it so it is a more fulfilling battle. Whereas I'm glad we got to see it. I really am. But it's it's one of those things that's okay. confusing to the mind okay. because yeah. why yeah. was it completely necessary at that point? Because yeah. that's not really where yeah. the Hound's Ark was really going. I, and who gave a damn if Franken Mountain, you know, got burned, burned yeah. up anyway by a dragon fire. Yeah. So. I think it will end up being one of the primary differences between the book and the show. Even if you just think about the Gravedigger elder brother speech and what the, the real heart of that is. It's the, the violence is a disease idea that we get in the show, yeah. too, from Brother Ray. But where, where does that lead? Picking up an axe and going off to kill more people. In the book, the heart of that is really about reinforcing what is one of the core messages of the story. It's an anti-war message. It's an anti-violence message, not go kill more people and then literally hurl yourself into the fire. So, yeah. yeah. We're done, this though, went I think. Fast. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I didn't realize we were... Thank you. For final sign back there. Thank, Thank you for participating. Thank y'all so much. All these, all these Sandor fans. I love you all. <laughs>